The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Den Talks Podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. And we have Tina Marie on today. She is the author and creator of the Shit Stir Method. It's a five-step method that's really pretty incredible that walks you through on those feelings to really start reprogramming yourself when you get caught in that negative patterning. And it starts with just learning the feeling of what it feels like and kind of walking yourself. She has this incredible workbook where you actually walk through it, identifying it and slowly peeling the layers back so you can get out of it. It's incredible. And we actually talk about moments we've done it ourselves. Um, and I know it's gonna be very insightful for you. She's also a model, a mom, a public speaker. It, we really kind of get into everything, but most importantly, this idea, especially in times like this, of shifting and transformation, of having to embody sometimes the pain you go through, not shying away from it, owning what you're going through, owning the pain. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's large. So you can sit in a little bit, so that's how we can start understanding it, making peace with it and allowing it to go, but just kind of ignoring it and doing this like love and light of it all, or just trying to put positivity on it all the time, only kind of pushing it down further. So we really get into that. And again, I think that's helpful to everybody during this time, because I know we are all transforming right now and shifting and some of us in gigantic ways, some maybe not quite caught up to what it is yet, but there is stuff moving. And the more you are aware and the more you can allow it in a beautiful way, a, the healthier you're going to be, but also the happier you're going to be. So I hope you enjoy this episode. She is really fun, really fun to talk to. And again, just her method, I think, is very practical and very helpful. Let us know what you think. Go to our Den Talks podcast page on Facebook and drop a line there. And also leave us a review. It is always so, so unbelievably helpful. It is like the one thing you can do um, to really help the podcast. So we would appreciate that. Thanks. Where do you live? Where are you right now? I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, wow. And it looks so, so and lovely. It is beautiful here. It's, I, I call it beautiful and boring, but in the most nice way. Like I was in New York City for um, a few months after the pandemic. We came here and then we went back. And for me, it was just too much. Time to get out. Yeah, I felt it. I was like, and I'm not very nature oriented, but I'm like, I need trees. I need to be able to get in my car in ugly Ugg boots, go to Target, order a spice latte and be normal. I totally get it. That's what happened to me too. So did you keep your place in New York or did you sell? Yeah. Yeah. We still, we, we always normally migrate. We just 
spend way more time in New York, but during this time, it's been really nice to have this place and accessible and. And so you've been there mostly, but I get it. I way in LA, we came, we were in Cape Cod now. And I remember the same thing. I was like, I don't think I can go back right now. It's just, and again, it was nothing about Los Angeles. It was purely this of like, I just need to be near nature. Same thing for us. It's like yeah. hard over here. So it's like, I'm in Walmart all the time. Like, I'm like, yes. I was like you're doing it. Cause I'm like, I got to go to Walmart. <laughs> no, no, no. And my girlfriends are like, wow, you are really like suburban housewife. I'm like, they're like, if I see one more DIY project from Pinterest on your Instagram, you're official. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just different. It's like a creative outlet. And Cape Cod is absolutely beautiful. I actually have a, a family that I love there. They're named the Watts. And they're doing this like Cape Cod project where they're renovating this beautiful home on the Cape. And I have never seen such beautiful homes in it, Cape. It's gorgeous. I love it here. It's so, the. it's just so, I mean, I'm staring at the water right now. It's like everywhere you go, there's water. So I'm like, every other house has a water view. Cause it's like, you're driving, you're like, oh, there's water on the right. Oh, there's an inlet on the left. Oh, there's a little pond over there. They're like there's water everywhere. So <laughs> there's so much, it's really beautiful. And it's, it's really good. For, it's been really good for the soul. It's been nice spending the time. Yeah. I have to say it's been great for our family. Yeah. Do you, have, how many kids do you have? I have one kid. Okay. Husband, but even, it seems so dumb because I like to tell people, I'm like, here we eat dinner together every single night. Now, look, I'm sure we could have done that in Los Angeles if I put more attention to it. And if like I made it, if I reworked the schedule to do it, it's not like somewhere in Los Angeles, it said you can't eat with your child, but we just never did. It was like the way- our- I know exactly what you mean. I know it, there's just a different energy in different spaces where you're like, oh, it, it, it's possible, but that just doesn't flow in this house or in this energy or what else is going on. It just doesn't in like we have a home in the Hamptons and I'm like, I never left my house and it's suburbia, meaning like the houses are different, but you I could get in my car, but I never got in my car. It was just a different vibe. And I'm like, wait, what was the difference? And there was no difference, but there was a difference internally. I know. So we do different things in different places. Right. It's actually like, I, I, it's what I keep telling people. If you have the ability now, like if you have the freedom, like if you're working remotely or working, um, or even if you're not working, but have money, but I know it's all depending on your situation and you can migrate a little bit right now. I keep telling people to do that. I'm like, yes can fit in your life, making these shifts of where you physically are, bring out a whole different side of you. And there is this freedom, like, look, some people are losing jobs. Um, if not, a lot of people's jobs are remote. So there is this interesting freedom of you don't have to physically stay where you are unless you choose for a reason to do it. Um, I know so many people who are just like, oh, I'm kind of thinking, or I wish, or I could. And there's really nothing, like when I go through it and I can see it from afar, I'm like, there's actually nothing keeping you there. Your mind is telling you the 55 reasons. Like some of my friends, it's like, well, I'm not working and he's not working. And I'm like, but who, like, why is sitting there necessarily getting you the job more than going there gonna get you the job? So, it, and I, in fact, I said, I said, actually, if you shift it and change, which can bring us to you, if you shift it and change the energy, you'd actually be surprised what opportunities might come up somewhere else. Amen. Uh, oh, it's, it's very, very true. And I think that when we have these like subset positions in our mind that we're not even aware of, like 
you, like you said about the dinner table, you're like, oh, I could have, but in my mind, it's just, it wasn't a part of that package that I had allocated to that home, to that time, to that thing. And then that shift in perception of like, oh, this is just more conducive for that. And really creating a life that has more of those things in it, no matter where you're at. Um, but also knowing where it naturally happens. It's yeah. like, oh, am I more this way in this in this town, in this environment? And really going, like, where am I filled up most? It's so, and it is really true. And I do think different things also at different times of your life. Like it, it's like, we haven't been in LA now for so long. And I realized when we left Los Angeles, which was random, like it was like, oh, let's just go. Um, I was like, oh, wow. It had been to the day that I left LA, it had been 22 years, maybe plus or minus a day or two to the day that I moved there. 22. Wow. Yeah. I was like, that's weird. Like it felt very much, again, if you're willing to like take a step back, it was almost like, oh, there was a pattern, something you needed to do. You went, you did it. And now it's like, it, you're, you can go and try and do something somewhere else. You came, you saw, you conquered. Yeah. You like, that was like your time. Like, I, um, hi, babe. <laughs> can mommy do her work after you give me a big kiss? Okay. Give me a big kiss. Hi, Katie. I love you. I love you. I'll see you in a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit of work. Okay. Oh, you're going to go to sleep? Oh, okay. I love you. Yeah, can you close mommy's door? Thank you, babe. Love you. I love you. Yeah, you've been. Is he napping? Yes, he's going down, down. So jealous. That's so nice. Uh, yeah, I try, I try to keep them. My four-year-old naps, too. I have to say my daughter just turned five and only this summer halfway through so we're talking if she turned five in october somewhere in like july did it drop so i kept it long yeah as long as you can because you're like no, no no this is like this little pocket of time that you can have just to not be yeah in. i always said i'm like selfishly i like it for me and then honestly i thought about it i'm like you know what if my parents enforced napping more on me and I knew that was an okay thing to do. It wasn't a sign of laziness. It wasn't a sign. It was like actually a sign of self-care. I think I would be a healthier human being right now, or I think my trajectory would have been different. Oh, I, I think it's, my kids are different and they feel better when they are, they have access to that wind down process. They know how to self-soothe. They know how to go down. They know I think it's a, a great process just for them to have. Agreed. And my child's a really great sleeper too. But it's also that like idea that I finally only now, I feel like have unraveled the idea. Like it's okay for me as a grown ass adult to take a nap. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, it, it was like layers of permission. And even now it's still, because it's just in our, like the way I was raised, it was like, you know, go and you work hard. And, uh, uh. and so it really it's just funny because my dad actually always took a nap, but for some reason that was like, just not something we did. And I just always say, so part of me is like, now she doesn't nap. I mean, she has too much energy. It's like the opposite, but I do want to keep instilling that for her. So she knows that is an okay outlet. Like that is a good thing to do with your life. Like, I know exactly. I, 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 I didn't hear it the first time around, but I, I hear it 
now that you're saying that, that when you access an app, you realize or wanted an app, you realize that there was hardwiring and these like narratives that make you perceive that as a bad thing. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, you're lazy. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. Like, this is not for you opposed to like the shift in perception of like, no, 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 this is okay. This is 20 minutes that like I'm allowed to do and I want to do and I'm and empowered by not a sign of weakness. And, and I think that we have those little things everywhere, yeah. like these embedded things, like this is good. This is not, this is, I, I confronted that with depression recently with what it is to be a good mom. Oh, and when I was, I, I, I swear I was at like 2% battery for whatever reason, for, there was no causal, uh, there was nothing on form level that was causing it. It wasn't a death. It wasn't a loss. It wasn't a struggle with something. It was really one day I woke up and I wasn't, I, I've, I just felt off and it had accumulated and then it, it hit a peak where it was three weeks where I really was not able to function. And when I was in there, I was at 2% and I had to really sit with or go out and tinker with the outside world and just like make check marks to make myself feel better that I'm not a bad mom because I really needed to, I, 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 I was forced through not feeling well to sit. And while I was sitting, I was revealed or I was like, it was illuminating all of my thoughts about being a mom, mm -hmm. what it means to be a good mom, that I was being bad, that how could you not want to like be around your kids 24 seven? How could you ask dad to go and take care of the kids? Like all of these things came up where I was like, oh my gosh, I really, oh. And even with uh, stuff came up with my mom where I was like, I was comparing myself to my mom and like, oh, you, your mom had, or mom had three kids by the age of 21 and she was just pounding pavement and here you are with this beautiful life and you have nothing to be upset about and you can't even take care of your baby. That's hard. Like, you know, so I got, I, so in the darkness of that, I was able to see how much um, like bedrock layering of thought and narration to my perception that there was, and I would have never slowed down or been in such a like vulnerable place to be able to even see that that was going on in my world. Meaning that that was even there. Do you feel like before that you were kind of like going, 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 trying to be this, what you perceived as like the perfect mom? And oh, well, I, I, I kind of was. And not going, 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 but not perfect mom. But I was, I never, I never tired from my, I like, I was okay with where I was, right. but I, let's just say I was 75% good mom. That was okay for me. Right. I wasn't the mom that did drop off. 
I wasn't the mom that was joining PTA. Like I was at that 75% mark. I was satisfied with myself. Some days I messed it up, some days, whatever. But I was really okay with the 75%. And then when I was depressed, I got down to 2%. Literally 2%. I was sitting in my closet and it was, it, it, I felt like a 90 year old woman. It hurt to put my shirt on. Do you, do you, what do you feel like spurred the depression? Was it chemical? Was it sick? Was it, what do you think it was? I truly believe that I needed to know this information and I needed, needed to heal and nothing slows me down in terms of, uh, like I needed to be put, like I needed to be anesthetized to be able to face some of this stuff. Because I have such a, and I think women in general, um, they're so fierce and we, we get out and we can do things and we can, and, and God or source knew that if he gave me, I I think like I gave me a depression that, that wasn't from a cause, there was nothing for me to fix. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like there was nothing like. It wasn't because, you, you know, something and worked on it and fixed it. Yes, exactly. And thoughts. Yes, because I'm a shifter. I can shift my perception on a lot of things. I can be in uh, dodgy situations or bad situations and be able to big, big things, be able to be like, you know what? I will not see it that way. But for this one in particular, it made me face and made me see that I I had to be, uh, I'll kind of hopefully bottom line it. All of a sudden I became the little sister. I haven't been the little sister since I was like 14. I've always been the little sister, but mentally. I've never been the little sister to my brothers. Yeah. I became the niece. I spoke to my uncle and I was the niece. I was the the daughter. My mom and I have a great relationship, but we've been more friendly uh, for a long time. And all of a sudden I became so much, um, not smaller, but I was- uh, Learn how to receive. Yes, I would. Exactly. Thank you. It was it was really I became um, taken care of in ways that I could. uh, My willpower would have never allowed me to do. I would have powered through, but my battery was taken down and I had no other choice. And I had to say to, um, you know, my brother or my uh, family or my husband, David, I had to say like, I, I need help. I, I, I can't, can you please take the kids? I, 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 I can't, I, I don't know why. I don't know why I don't feel good. Was he so worried? No, thank God. This, this man deserves like, a, like a front row seat in, in heaven. Like this is, I, I don't know how he didn't, like, he just is I don't know. He's just a rare. He just wasn't worried. He kind of knew like in his soul, everything was going to be fine. You just needed this time. Yeah. He didn't even 
thing is, you know, it's like he doesn't bat an eyelash because he doesn't see it in the way that I do in terms of like, I was feeling like I was a bad mom if I was asking him to be a parent and right. he's always a parent. That's so funny as a, as a mom. It's so true. It's like, I, I was taking a class that was, that was going to be on a Saturday. So I remember asked, literally asking permission being like, are you okay? Cause it's going to be like one full Saturday. And then I asked for our help to come to be here for that Saturday, because the idea of weirdly putting it on him to like do it, which he could, but you know what I mean? No, and he could, and he would, but it's in us. In our own. We feel guilty for making them do what we do every single day. Exactly. And that's through and owning that. And I think that that was really for me where I was like, oh my gosh, like I really do have a different set of, um, Standard. like this is going on within me. This does not have anything to do with him. I have these things. I have this perception that it is, I'm a bad mom if I allow my husband to parent. No, it's so true. Why are we like-, like, what is that? I've created that. And I think it's societal. I think it's nature. I think it's be- in, 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 if, if I shift my perception, I think it's a beautiful thing because it's so ingrained, but when it causes that suffering that I was experiencing being, uh, forced through having no battery and sitting in the darkness of like your bedroom and having to see yourself think that way. I I was forced to sit. I was forced to see what I had truly been thinking, not what I was doing on what, what I could secure and make a check mark. Like, Oh, mommy went to work out today. Mommy did you pack your lunches, mommy or I put, I like all the things you would look up for, like how to kick a depression is like, Oh, make sure you work out. I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't do any of it. And my, my revelation was my strength came from my surrender. Yeah. So I was going to say, how long was it? And when did you come out of it? And did you come out of it only when you kind of understood it? So it was, it was second week of August. I, I remember my parents were in town and I was just asking my mom questions like, Hey, do you ever, like, just like, don't want to be around people? Cause that was where like, it started where I was like isolating a little bit and I was getting not, an, I don't want to say annoyed, but I really did not like when someone called or text me because I didn't have a band, the bandwidth to yeah. be able, I didn't have the energy to like, they respond. And I felt, and then I would go in the cycle of like feeling guilty because I had, I remember looking at my phone and it was like 225 text messages. And I was just like, and these were, it's not, you know, solicitors or like, you know, the democratic parties, you know, making sure I, you know, it it wasn't anything. I miss those. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I got so many texts and I just remember um, feeling overwhelmed by the amount and not wanting, and then having the guilt and shame because I didn't want to write back. So that started the second week of August. 
September. I thought it was going to be great, but we had some transition. We moved back to the city from the beach. And then it just was slowly like, I'm a homebody. I'm a cancer to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I was like being able to like, be like, oh yeah, yeah, this is just me. And then um, I want to say the first, it, it was dark nights of the soul for three weeks straight. And I mean, like not uh, brushing your teeth, not, you know, it, it, it hurt. And when I say hurt to put my shirt on, I mean, all of these things that I'm doing naturally and we're all, we're all doing, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. It cost me in terms of like my battery pack so much to do the basic things where it hurt when I was in my closet and I was putting on a shirt, I felt like that like reduced that 2% by like a quarter. I was like, oh, this, it, everything that naturally flows was with great effort. And there was so much shame. I, I when I when I say own your awful, and that's a huge part of my thing. Owning the part of me that did not want to be around my children. I know. And owning that, and it was terrifying. I love my boys. I I I love them so much. And in those times when I was in that thing, it was terrifying that I, I was going like all the way to the end of the line, like thinking of them in the therapy office saying, my mom was great up until my fourth birthday, you know, and then she slipped away. I was terrified that I would stay like that because I, I, I just couldn't, my bandwidth, like I I felt like I was just trying to keep my head above water. So anything else was just, I I couldn't do it. So I had to ask for help and I, it just gave me so many lessons. And then, and then when I started to come out of it, I remember, um, oh, and, and at this time I hated the sun. Interesting. Hated the sun was annoyed that it was beautiful outside because if it was gray outside that I wouldn't have to feel guilty for being inside feeling bad, but it was these beautiful New York days. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, sunny sky. And I'm like, put those blinds down because I don't feel that way. Wow. So I, so I, so the three weeks, it was really intense. And, uh, then I started like, I felt like it was like breaking and then my son and my son, Max and Lex, they come in and Lex is like a 33 pounder. He's just like a big boy. He's just like pure muscle and he's laying on my body and I could just feel his, from the back of his chest, I could feel his heart beating and just the weight of his body. I was like, oh my God, mom's back. I like the, like, this feels good. I, I could have you do this for two hours. This is amazing. But that scary time where you're not sure if you're going to go back, I was terrified. I was terrified for my kids. I was like, this is, um, how did you talk to them? Like, did you tell, like, did you, did you just disappear and just have your husband handle it? Or did you say something to them? Like how did yeah, I said, mommy's just not feeling good. I don't, I'm, I'm mommy's really, really tired. Cause I, I, and, and I thought about it in terms of like explaining and like their ages and everything. And 
for me, it wasn't, I had no symptoms in terms of mommy wasn't crying. Right. I, I wasn't, I had no feeling. I was complete. I like, I described it to someone else. Like imagine taking like a wet towel and that's like Tina Marie. She's this big wet towel. And then all of a sudden just like squeezing it and wrapping it. And then every, all of the meanness was gone. Wow. Gone. Like no personality. No, I didn't even need to cry. I thought like, I, I even was trying to retrieve like childhood wounds to see <laughs> if it's like, uh, to, to get it out. You know, when you have like, when you're waiting for your period and you know, you're acting a little crazy, but you're like, oh, I know once I, you know, leave for the first time, I'll have some sort of release and I'll be, I'll I'll go back to normal hormonally. I was like, let me just try to retrieve some sad emotions. And if I get a good cry out, maybe that'll shift something. No, didn't work. There was nothing. Have you ever battled depression before? No, I'm not. I like, I can think of a time I had, I lost a dog, um, when I was like 19, but this was a different, uh, maybe sadness or, but this was, this was a different breed of, uh, and you had interesting childhood, right? I mean, it was pretty tough. Yes. I, I, I would, I don't know if it, it was, how do I describe my childhood? Um, I experienced and learned and my main default defense and everything was about shame. I felt shame. I experienced shame. I was defect or defending against shame. It was a just shame filled existence. So that is one of uh, the things that I had to work through my, I still have to work through it. It still comes up. And that was because you, you were raised with less money, right? Then. Yeah. So I, it's actually interesting because I, I think of like people that live in different circumstances and, and what it was really analyzing my shame. And I think that first of all, or shame can also be inherited. Mm -hmm. So my mother Um, And we talk about this and this is a a kind of an open conversation and and this is too none, not her fault. But I think that my mom had a perception of shame. And when we would have experiences that could be perceived in that way, my mom was very quick to label it. They were shaming you. So I had ingested that and didn't have a filtration system to be able to know or identify that at an early age. So what um, was, I would say the disparity in my childhood was I lived in a um, middle-class neighborhood and we lived in a section eight home that was dilapidated. It was just like falling apart. It was just like always a mess. Like we had, um, my brothers were wild. So they would like throw things through the window and we would put like saran wrap and like use a, uh, uh, what is it called? A, a blow dryer to like seal in the windows. And like, it was just like a complete, uh, it looked like a crack den. Nobody did drugs. Nobody did drink alcohol, but it looked like weird stuff was going in there. Where, I'm sorry. where was it? Uh, Philadelphia, or sorry, it's Souderton, Pennsylvania, but it was like 45 minutes outside of Philly. Got it. So um, it was in a 
so all of the other homes look normal and everybody had a minivan and had their, you know, their parents or their mom uh, had like sold longer burger baskets. I don't even know if you know what that is, but it's like this basket company, like Amish people make. And then the dads work at the wherever mortgage company. And I had this young, hot, blonde mom that loved short shorts and was wild not wild but like my mom was just my mom had three kids by 21 so she was stylish she was hot and she had no husband so we were give you from the same yes my dad got it and then she um when I was two she met my other dad and I have two and they had to additional children, which are my sisters, Grace and Brianna. So it's Wayne and Matt, my two older brothers, and then my two younger sisters. So I am the baby of the brothers. I'm the big sister of the sisters and I'm the middle of the five. Crazy. So you experience all roles. Exactly. Um, So, so we grew up like that. And I, I just think that um, we were so different looking and different acting and different uh I've always been extra and I I don't think my town really knew what to do with that and I always wanted to be more mature I I, like I remember in first grade I was wearing like a padded bra and because I just thought boobs were the best like I I I wanted braces I wanted a I wanted I wanted braces I wanted crutches I wanted um a cast like Oh, glasses. I wanted everything adult credit cards. Like I, since I was really little. So I go into this, like uh, my first grade class with my padded bra that I got from my older girlfriend's mom and my teacher, Mrs. Ada, she comes up to me and she's like, this is wildly inappropriate. And like shaved me in front of the teacher. But I remember in my heart during that time, I had no idea whatsoever that she could have said anything other than, wow, you look amazing. Like like in my head, I just was being myself. Right. You know, I was just like, oh, this is the best. Boobs are amazing. I got a pad of brawn and I'm, you know, in first grade and I think I look great. So I had that. Um, confidence. And I think that uh, that had just slowly been chipped away because I was always so extra and so me. It was just pure. It was, it's just what I gravitated towards. I loved over the knee boots at in second grade, like I or over, yeah, like, or thigh high boots, like, and I would wear them to school. I, and I, it was just me. So I think that in that community, uh, it was, you know, moms wearing turtlenecks with a sweatshirt over top or uh, over top of it with like a pumpkin embroidered on it. You know, like it was that. It was like a, a normal American mom, and then I have my my mom that's wearing like really like she looked hot. She still does. Like she just was. Di- we were different. Yeah. Um and we, I think we scared a lot of people and it's like your we just different. family. Yes. We were, <laughs> you know what? That's a great way to just, 
I've never heard of it that way, but that's exactly how we looked. But we were a unit, just like the Adam Stanley. I think I may need to use that because that is so good. That's brilliant because it really is like that. We were just different, but we were so, we were a unit. We were like. Um, Family was close, which is great. So close. I know, and we were, you know, in your book, you talk about how you like asked your mom for advice always. And she always pointed to you, like she would just be like, it's on you, it's on you, which I think is really wise and unbelievable because most people, the first thing you do when someone's complaining to you is you you join in on the bitching, you know, and why that person's right and amazing. And it's like one of my best friends told me, she goes, yeah, I call you when I'm ready to really hear it. She goes, I can't call you till I'm ready because I know you're always going to tell me she's like they're like you're always going to actually be strong with me and I started laughing part of me is like oh like I hope but at the same time I'm like you know good because they know that I'm actually I really want what's best for them so but it's rare that especially a mom is says that all the time to a child to be like all right let's how does that make you feel it's all in you the answers are you Absolutely. It was, I, I say in the book and it, it, I can just feel it even when I think about it. It was one of, it is one of the most infuriating <laughs> and uh, liberating feelings to have simultaneously. Because I would lay out my body of evidence. I would tell her a story. I would say, he did this. They said this. This is the evidence to confirm my fear. And this is, this is it happening in chronological order. And then I would get to the end and she would always lift, listen empathetically as if, you know, I, I, she's going to roll out with the, you know, uh, screw, you him. Know, <laughs> screw him. Yeah. I was just thinking like, screw him or screw her or they don't know you or whatever. And she would always say one thing. She was like, honey, I know you think this is about X. I know you think it's about him. I know you think it's about that. I know you think this is this, but this is about you. This is this is about you. There's something that's happening within you that this couldn't happen if there wasn't something in you that was getting stirred. And we didn't have the language about stirring at that time, but she's like, there's something about it. There's something that's getting, this is about you. And, and, that moment, when I say liberating and infuriating, it's infuriating because you, your ego, mm -hmm. I call it my doppelganger, <laughs> my ego, the, it looks like me, sounds like me, that voice inside of me that sounds like me and looks like me is telling me that I've been wronged and that I am right. It's so ferocious and in its desire to eat uh, morsels of something that can fill itself up. So it's, it's saying that I'm right, they're wrong. I have nothing to do with this. This is my body of, you know, evidence. And then there's another part of me that when she would say, this is about you, then there came the moment of relief because if it, if it was about me, then there was a chance for it to change. Because if, if it was coming from within me, then this out of control thing, if I could change it inside here, 
then it didn't matter what I was actually free of that person because there was a choice. Now, were you always pretty good about hearing it? No, I would yell. I would be like, mom, did you not just hear what I said? Like, what do you, how could, how is it possible that someone being mean to me at work and saying, even if it's big, like, let's just say somebody called me a really bad name. Yeah. How could that be about me? They were mean, mom. How? When did it click for you in your life? I, I always knew that there was truth, but I really started getting it when I was, I want to say 20, like really like applying, really applying the, the, these ideas, these wait, even just trying it on. Cause this is the method is something that is not it's not for the faint of heart. And it's something that you, you inch your way into and try on and see. And it's, it's this body of work that's never ending. And it's not just some like, uh, you know, prescriptive, okay, you're going to do these things and you're going to be healed. It's like, I have to do the method every single day. I was going to say, did you do it last night when you were up with the... Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw what it was. And I saw that it was my ego because my ego really wanted uh, to be able to, to be okay. And that can I sit with the possibility of... Um, there was uncertainty for me. And when I couldn't be sure of one way or the other, that caused upheaval. So when I was sitting with myself, I was like, we, I'm not having faith that uh, everything is going to be fine. Just like it has been, even when I've been stirring and thinking something's crazy is going to happen, whatever. And I go all the way to the end, like I did with my kids uh, going back, like, am I going to be okay. And, and reeling it in, reeling in those, you know, the stir is when you deviate into a negative thought pattern, when your ego deviates into a negative thought pattern, when the doppelganger is speaking and saying all these scripts, reeling her in and being like, okay, what is my truth here? Even though I hear you, I hear what you're having to say. And those things are valid, but what is it that I choose for me right now? Because I want, I want to feel peaceful and what will make me feel peaceful without being in denial. No, I love that. And I love how, when you have the workbook, which I mean, just lays it out for everyone. I like how, when you're kind of acknowledging her existence in the first place, which is super important, how you give a, like every choice you could possibly imagine of something you might be like emotionally giving it. But I also like that you said, what color is it? Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a bit it could, because when when you're going through it, you're there's a there's a vibration, there's a feeling, there is like when they say in movies, oh he saw he saw red, or oh I blacked out. There's reasons, there's sensations, and there are um, feelings that we or colors that are prescribed in in these emotions, and and as we unravel and unpack and take personal responsibility, not for the action, 
but for our internal dialogue with how we're perceiving something because, because somebody could do something to us and it always be wrong, but it's, it's our interpretation of that in its effect on us. That is really the power. When we start doing that work, I've just seen people go from red or black or gray or chaos, like they're in a storm to, oh, like I'm, I'm feeling like kind of I'm purple or I'm yellow or I'm, it's like these neutral colors or I feel clear. Like somebody will say like, oh my God, I started out here and now I'm feeling like white. I'm feeling open. That's pretty amazing. And, and, and having that, I, I it's like polytextural because you're thinking intellectually versus then you're, then you're having your physiological experiences. Like when you're stirring, am I biting my nails? Do I, um, w- when I'm anxious, I bite my lip. Oh, I, I just, it's this habit that I do. And I know that, Oh, Oh, there I go there. I'm stirring right now. But I think that's so interesting too. I was just talking about this on here the other day. Also the idea of, you know, we're given our bodies and our minds as well as this, you know, energetic body. And I find like the balance is always the tricky thing for people. Like, what do you use when? And our brains get in the way, our minds get in the way often, the ego gets in the way often, but it's there for a reason. So how are you supposed to be using it? And I feel like things like this, when you give a method like this, you're training the brain to work for you and understand how your brain is working against you. So it's like, you're actually figuring out how can I use this as a tool? Well, this is how I can actually work with analyzing this stuff to connect it to like my energy and my physiological and rewire it so it stops working against me. So I'm such a smart blend of the critical thinking with the energetic movements versus just, or shifting versus Cause I think that's the trick. A lot of people feel like they go, right. You know, we talk about it on here lately with everything, the wellness community, people go right to the like love and light it. Like, let's just like, you know, energetically say everything's going to be great. And then, you oh, know, no. right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yes. Thank <laughs> you for saying that because you cannot douse these big things. You need to have respect and reverence for the, it, it gives me chills. You have to respect and reverence for the human experience. And you cannot douse that with toxic positivity and some cute quotes and everything's going to be great. You have to be able to see light, to be able to have that experience, to be able to fully enjoy that. You have to acknowledge and own. And this is why I believe in owning your awful so much it's, we are 50 shades of whoever you are, 50 shades of Tina Marie. And when I disown my anger or my shitty momdom or my anything, that means that there are fragmented parts of me that are outside of me and I can never be whole. That's right. Ever be whole if I do not own them. So when we resist those parts by only thinking of uh, 
wellness and namaste and all of those things are great when they are intentional and when they are not coming from fear or offloading. When they're when you're really in that namaste thing, that's great. But if you're using those to protect you as a weapon, they are just as fierce as being mean. They're yeah. just as debilitating. So all of these, um, you know, quotes out there, I know that they're intended to be empowering, but I also believe um, uh, there needs to be a conversation about the darker sides and owning that and integrating integrating them because it's, you can't, um, uh, gratitude is, 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 is beautiful when you're in a place to be able to feel that you can't just douse yourself with gratitude and then start growing something. It just, it, it just does not work. And I think that it, it discredits the human experience. Cause I remember when I was talking about being depressed and people were like, oh, but honey, you have such a beautiful family and oh, you have so much money and oh, but you're so beautiful and thin. And I'm like, and I wanted to say, depression is not a result of a lack of gratitude. It is something that is far deeper and gratitude does not scratch the surface of what is trying to be birthed within me. And that I respect that. And I can hold space and be grateful and still simultaneously be really stuck and dark and not feel good. And I love my family and I am so grateful, but that doesn't penetrate that layer. And for someone to prescribe gratitude or think of the bright side of things or all of that, if that worked, I would feel great all of the time. I think that they're important. I think that they're in imperative. Gratitude is like, I, I love, I'm, I, I, I look at my kids and I'm like, how, like I tell them all the time. I'm like, wait, how did I get the best ones? What did, what did I do to get these ones? Like, God, I will ask my son, how did God send me the best one? Why, how? Like, I know gratitude on a deep level, but when that when you're in that space or all of those things that does not just wash away things it is it all of those feelings and emotions and like uh, anger and anxiety and frustration and shame and all of those things you can't douse them with some light and hope that they're they're gonna get lighter no it's going into the darkness, into the shame, being in the abyss of your internal workings and owning them, that's when they become the shift to come lighter. You can't just douse it with some topical cream. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to get to the, I want to get to the source. Sorry for the interruption. Just a couple of cool things. So don't forget, we have our teacher training and it's virtual. So wherever you are listening to this, if you want to do it, I know so many years past, people have been like, I can't make it all the way there. We're doing it virtually this time. So go on adenanywhere.com. The link is there. You can apply. It starts in January. It goes through the spring. It's 
easy. You can make time for it. You can deepen your practice. It's going to be an unbelievable experience, whether you want to be a teacher or you don't. It just really helps you find your voice in this world. And actually, again, if you don't want to be a teacher, it really helps your practice. If you do want to be a teacher, you find your voice in an incredible way. Um, we hope we see you there. So go to denanywhere.com and apply. You said a couple of really interesting things because, A, you said even earlier, you're like, I can shift perspectives really quickly. So, and I think part of the reason you can shift perspectives so quickly, and I think for most people, that's the goal is like, how can we roll with life where we can shift perspectives, but you have to be able to train your body to, to feel it, go into those moments and then let it out. And you have to, like, it's funny, like the tiniest thing for me the other day, my family, I have a lot of family members who vote for Trump. I mean, it's a whole thing. And and look, I come from a family where we've always been politically divided. And I've loved that, actually, because I've loved the differences. This one's been way more personal as it has been for most families when it's different. And so my mom and I have really had, I've been really hard on her. And, and it's bothered me versus I have way more, uh, I have way more patience in talking with people with differing points of view everywhere. But for some reason with my mom, it was really hard. And I, I had all the things in my head too. I'm like, I just don't get it. You are such a progressive woman. You were so strong. You taught me how to be like, it was all these things that in theory made sense. And I would tell her that I'm like, you were so strong. Like you, you know, were a doctor when no women were doctors, you've paved the way you did things that most women couldn't do. Like RBG and you, like, how can you support this man? Like you taught me how to be kind. You taught like all these things. And finally, it was the other day, we got into it again. And by getting into it, it's usually just me texting and her ignoring me. But like, <laughs> but still, I actually got to respond finally, because I said, you need to respond to these so I can at least understand your intelligent response so I can start processing it. And she didn't respond that much, but she responded enough to the engagement I needed that as I texted her, it clicked in with what was really bothering me. Yes, obviously, I don't like that she said. Oh, I cannot wait to hear this. Tell me. It was. It was. My parents were very hard on me and my brother. Now, look, I'm very appreciative of, of it because I was, you know, I like who I've become. I think I'm strong and I think I'm a decent human and I think I have compassion and love. Um, but they were very hard on us, both of them. And, you know, for their own reasons, like, and I actually did not even harbor that much anger towards them because I felt like I processed a lot of it because I understand where it came from. And again, I also understand how it benefited me, but it wasn't like easy. Like there's, you know, it's one of those where like everything in that house had like a rule, like everything. So you really, as a child, there was like no safe space for so many reasons because you were always fucking up something. There was no way not to, you're always not good enough. You're always screwing that up, messing that always. So it was tough. And anyone who's like part of our family knows that as much as you would love my mom, my mom's amazing. You know that. And so it hit me really hard, this anger that I was like still boiling that I think I made heads or tails of. But then when all of a sudden I felt like she could support someone whose behavior would never fly in our house, like, oh, girl, it made me so angry with her because it was. Oh the layer of anger besides the general anger I think people are feeling in this election it became very personal of like what was the point why would you do that to me and wrong like why would you put us through that why would you be so hard on us if that's not truly how you feel because if you're okay with someone else with that behavior if you could give him 
this leniency to be whatever it is that I was as a child, why does he have your graces? And why did we not? And, and do you understand? I, I, I'm so sorry. I have to acknowledge that. That is the most, that is quantum leap in your evolution. Being able to string that together is the bravest work you could ever do. Yeah. And so most people don't ever get no, what's really going on. And yes. that is, girl, I'm so proud of you. You did it. That's the method. That is being right. able to realize what's going on. And then to your point, even more, when I had that realization, I went, oh, and then I cried and I allowed myself to be upset about it. Like I allowed myself to be angry and upset, not at her, because I'm not angry at her. I mean, it's like, I mean, I am, but I'm not. It's like, it's more. I know what you mean. Yeah. And I had, I did the release and it's like, and there were a few times through that day that I think about it, it would bring up tears and I'd let it go. And now I can talk about it and there's no tears because I know I've let it go. I've processed it. It came out. But my point is like to what you're saying is I didn't ignore Once I realized there was something that still was hurting me or that child, instead of just being like, oh, well, whatever. It's so far. Who cares? Move on. I've intellectualized it. I also let myself feel it. And, and it wasn't that long because I did the process like what you were saying. So it's not like I sat here for like for months. And by the way, it's okay if it takes that long because it might've been gnarlier for other people. There might've been deeper stuff. So there's, that's not a judgment, but I'm saying for me, that wasn't that long because I think I allowed it. And like, even things like when we had to close like Den La Brea, intellectually, I was so okay with it because I love where the den's heading. I think it's okay. And like, I mean, look what's going on. Things are just impossible. There's like logic behind everything. And I was actually really okay with it. And only when that week happened, when like we were selling stuff and everyone else in the community came out and this, I will get choked up when the community came out about how much that space meant, I just had a week and my husband knew it. I would come home sometimes and I would just be crying and he would know. And I was like, I'm good. Like I'm actually not, but like, clearly there's a mourning that needs to happen. And I need, and I just need to mourn it. And there was probably a good seven days of me just having random like bursts of just full on crying, but then it passed. And like, I can feel really good and proud and loving about it. And like, yes, of course, still have my emotional moments. But again, it's like not trying to intellectualize it down or just say, oh my God, I'm so thankful for it, which I am, oh my God. And then let not, not allow the sadness of that part to process. So I think you're right. And I think what you also said which will take us slightly to a different subject. You said something like, if I don't own all of that in the darkness, then I'm, I'm fragments. And then if that fragment's not part of me, I'm never a whole person. I think also a little bit what's happening in this wellness community right now too, with like the guru syndrome and like, you know, people, I think if you don't do that, no matter how deeply you enter a lineage or an idea or your own version of spirituality, if you are fragmented, like what you're saying, I thought that was a really good way to say it. Well, then you're never finding yourself. And then you're going to get lost in whatever the speech or the rhetoric is of that teacher or that lineage. And then it can only help you so much. Yes. You're, 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 you're 55%. 
your meaning of your potential and all of those when we don't integrate we can't fully embrace this full magnificent weird uh, amazing artistic angry soulful spiteful um creative all of these things are these pockets that we've you know fragments of self and we can't fully embody all of that and all of the gifts that all of those things have. I used to hate my Philly girl. I used to hate the part of me that could just be, I wanted her to go down. You live in New York now, you live, you have fancy things, you do not show up. I, I wanted her to go away. I'm so glad that I have that Philly. I can access her in a second. What is she? And I love, oh, she, oh, girl, she comes out. She is so serious. She's scary. She's, she's sassy. She's amazing. And I love her. She just is, she's intentional. And then sometimes I like, she comes out, whatever, whatever, but it's not, I, I think of it as like when you're, when you're a little kid and your doctor's going like this to your knee and you're like knees jumping up. Yep. Reflex. Like a reflex. I was Philly girl reflexively. And for me now, when I need to use my Philly girl, I left my life (laughs) because I have access to that part of me that if I'm in a situation, I have access to that full range of me. When she needs to come out, I can say, okay, let's do this. Cause I have that. I have that part and I like having access to that. If I need to use that scary girl, I can use her. Because I can defend, but it's not reactionary and it's not my autopilot. And I think that when we're doing all of these, um, you were saying like getting lost in the rhetoric or the the conversation or like uh, there is a huge difference between knowing something intellectually versus experientially. And when I am gifted a deeper understanding, even if it's through a depressive episode or something quote unquote bad to understand this experientially, I am better able to serve myself, my family and my community. So when people or whoever is like getting lost in the intellectual part, meaning they could spout off you know, Marianne Williamson quotes and like do, you know, Yogi Bhajan or uh, Pema Chodron or whoever it is, like Deepak, like all of these things, they're all valid and have potent, powerful, these are powerful words and they have deep truth, but it's when we integrate them experientially and share them is where the magic is. It's through personal being like, ah, man, I I messed it up here. This is what happened. This is where I deviated. And in the Shifter method, the fourth step is the share. And being in communion, shoulder to shoulder with other women and owning it and saying, ah, man, the other day, I, you know, somebody wrote this message on my Instagram and my first instinct was, was to go to this, but then I realized that da, 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 and then I went through it and I realized that that was really actually coming from my childhood or, or whatever level, or you could just say, Oh yeah, it really hurt my feelings. I started crying. 
and being shoulder to shoulder with other women and owning the parts of us that are human. Yeah. And that you, like when you were saying that you would come home and cry and allow yourself to cry, that your identity, your identity allows you to have the full range of emotion to allow yourself to cry. And a lot of women find that to be weak yeah. and that doesn't fit into their, their arsenal of, I am a strong woman. I am a businesswoman. I'm a, this, I'm a, that, and they won't allow themselves to experience that. And that calcifies that gets lodged in us and isn't allowed to, to go. And when we don't have reverence for grief, for sadness, for overwhelm and um, being open to have the conversation with your mom to be able to see what it was. Why is this so charged for me? Because you knew you were an explorer. You're saying like, I love you. I know you, but there's something deeper for me here because this is really charged. I can have this conversation with other people and not get this zing, this like lightning bolt where I am furious at you. There's something deeper. So when we look at those places where we have that charge, that's where the magic is. Totally. And it's funny because I've been saying and I've been telling people in my class this week, like obviously there's a lot of stuff going on and obviously there's a meaning behind it with the election. But I keep saying, it's exactly what you just said. Like, what are you learning from it? Because what is it? I, Cause I know for me, it was something like, what is it for you that is getting so anxious and frustrated? And it's probably beyond just the idea of who's going to win or lose. If you will actually be willing to go through the exploration, like you did, you did it last night. So it's, and I did it and I did it the other day with my mom. So I do strongly believe like whenever you're that charged, there's, you can keep peeling the layers like your mom used to say and yes. to get to the you of it. So even if it is about racial injustice, which is obviously very fair now, it's like keep peeling. Like, I feel like there's something that also is about your own personal growth that we can look at these opportunities as such an incredible chance. And I, your method is a perfect way to do it is it's it's an amazing opportunity if people are willing to go a little bit more than just lay in the emotion of it. Exactly. And it, and it, it's uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It no. really is. It's for the seeker. It's for someone that's like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of getting the same result. I'm like, I'm getting in my own way. So I'm, but for me, it was like, I had to start applying this when I realized I was the common denominator. No matter where I went, there was a situation like that, <laughs> energetically. What it, it, it wore different faces, wore different what people, whatever it was, but I was always coming back to the same thing. And I'm like, it's painful when you realize there's something in me that keeps on causing this. There's something going on where I see this everywhere. Why is it every time I see an eye roll, I feel ashamed of myself. I'm shaming myself. Why is it that I correlate an eye roll to I'm not enough? I've prescribed that in my mind and that's what brings it up. And that's my journey. And when I take responsibility for that, for my part in that, I also give my chance to liberate myself and stop 
um, externalizing my value and because it's exhausting and I willingly gave it. Especially with the shaming, because I know I say I, I a lot of moms, I say this all the time on the show that I'm on this mommy Facebook group page. And one of the main thing that comes up a lot is always them being like, I did this. And can you believe this mom shaming happened? And like list the whole thing. And everyone's always like, fuck that person. Fuck that. And I always, my response is always like, you're only shamed if you want to be shamed. Because part of me is like, me, I wouldn't give a shit. Like, yes, that's you'd, you'd keep it moving. Yeah, I would have either kept it moving or I would have made a joke or I would have like, it's just, it wouldn't have affected me the same way because I, I like you, I kind of, my, I own where I don't think I'm a great mom. I own where I am. Like I just own it. And so no one else can shame me if I've already owned it. Like it's hard. Yes, I, yes. I'm like, I remember I was with my girlfriend, Melissa, and we were both with our kids and, uh, we were both with our kids. My son is somewhere in the, uh, park and he comes back he has no clothes on (laughs) no clothes on and he starts peeing on the wall (laughs) and all the moms and all the nannies are like whose kid is this like like looking at me and I was like he's all mine ladies he's all mine (laughs) and it was just that power that I could have been like you could go over and be like, Max, why did you do that? This is a public place. And I felt that. And I was like, I will not do that to my child. I will not do that. But I felt that inclination, that desire. And I was like, nope, boys take out the birds. Boys (laughs) pee on walls. Do I prefer it? Do I encourage it? No. (laughs) <laughs> but this is what happened. And I remember just the eyes and I can, the, uh, a great way to see about it, see your shame is go to any school function or playground. Cause it, it's rampant. It just, but like you said, of you already own that part of you where it's like, no, 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 boo boo. I'm not, I'm not the PTA mom. No, I don't do drop off. Nope. Yeah owning it and being like, no, 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 that's not my shtick. So there's not that room. And I I think this is a really powerful point that you like made me, it just sparked it. When there's the owning of the awful, meaning no, 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 I don't do that. Or, oh no. Yeah. I, I messed that up. It doesn't give an entry point. It stops the ability for someone to shame you because it's integrated Yeah, because it's like, this is me. It's not able to like weave in. It's not able to like, when someone feels ashamed, it's because there's a part of them that has an identification with its truth and they're, they're surveying and checking and somebody will put it in there. There's already that hole there, but when that part is integrated and owned, it can't get through because it's in there that that section of your wholeness is filled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do drop off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not the mom that does the organic, uh, you know, metal uh, lunch bag things. I'm just not. I, I just, I would never have, like, I'm like, let's just get stuff together. I'm always late to signing things. It's just not my thing. I'm really good at other things and I'm with my kids. You know, I, it, it's a balance. Totally. Uh, but owning that, and I think that um, what you're saying is, uh, it reminds me of an, a story. I When I first started dating uh, my man, he shame was a huge part of my life. Like just the word shame. I, I was also like 
interested in it and intrigued by it. And, and I always felt like it was something that I needed to dive into. So I would read about it and do seminars and, you know, just really try to shift this because I knew that was what was going on. So when we met and we were talking about shame, he had no idea what I was talking about. Like no concept of shame. And I'm like, either you're an alien or you're, or you're lying to yourself and I'm going to crack you. There's got to be some shame under there. You know, let me, let me see what I can do. Anyway, years go by. I want him to identify with me and identify with my shame stories. And he never does, never does, never will. And I, I was, I, I remember really having this being like a non-negotiable, like, how could I be with someone for the rest of my life if they don't understand one of the basic fundamental things that I experienced as a child? Like, how could he ever belong to my family if he doesn't understand shame? I remember it being like really big. It's a huge thing for me inside my mind. So I was, I'll never forget. I was in Riverhead, uh, New York, going to the, uh, what was it? The Barney's outlet. Cause I'm crazy about deals. So I'm driving and I'm going around this loop and we're talking about shame and I'm telling him a story and he doesn't get what I'm talking about. And I remember just this, what like feeling of frustration, like, how do you not get me? Like, how do you not hear that story and not understand what that would do to a child? And I remember feeling that, but then he said this one line and it will, he's like, for me and in my culture and in my family, the shamer should be ashamed. Mm. And I remember being like, oh my God. He could never understand my shame stories because he never thought it belonged to me. Mm. He always thought it belonged to the person. In his mind, it's always the shamer's shame. If you are going to shame someone, that's you own that shame. He could never understand how I could have picked it up because it was never mine. Wow. And it was a huge shift in our relationship in general, but it was also a shift in perception for me because I was like, oh my gosh, this whole time, I never even thought that she should be ashamed of herself. Like I was thinking of a a childhood experience when a teacher shamed me and I was like, I, I was set free of that, that, that story. It was through the shift in perception. I was able to change the past. That story is the same, but it's not the same anymore. My relationship with that story in the past shifted. That was a moment where someone uh, should have been ashamed and it wasn't me as a child. What a beautiful hers. Give you. It was, it was, but that, imagine I had a perception that he should be this. He should know me. He should identify. And that was something that separated us because I could not get. And out of when I think of like the arithmetic and God and the universe and how genius and how divinely organized this is, he was never supposed to understand my shame ever. 
because it wasn't a part of our contract. He was designed and created with that exact arithmetic for me to be able to shift that because it never belonged to me. It never did. So I got this huge, huge gift out of something that I thought was a non-negotiable. I thought it was like, I don't know if I can be with you if you don't understand. It was, it's that big. It was like what I, it's what I worked on my whole life. How could you, it was my biggest thing. And it actually became out of my greatest despair, meaning my greatest thing that I thought was keeping us apart is actually one of the, it's like the bedrock of why I love him so much now, because I'm like, you never, thank God, you never could understand my shame. God, because then it's like, otherwise it becomes like that shame spiral. Like he just joins in on it and just- Oh, absolutely. We would we would have inherited it just like we would have done, we would have passed that down. Amazing. So that's, so for the moms that are on your Facebook group, I think- you just being a voice of reason that and and sharing that and saying those things is not everyone always wants to hear it so no they don't they're not ready for it but it's it's the truth because they should be ashamed and and when we have that that's just power that's really like I think of when we when we have these thoughts that it's like a you know, you've got a Ford F-150 and somebody just siphon, put a tube into your gas tank and it's siphoning all of your gas. It's like allowing that to go out. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to keep this. And I'm not, you did that, whatever. That's your shtick. That's your shame. I know who I am. I know that, yeah, that may be whatever. And if I have a charge to it, like you were talking about the conversation with your mom, maybe there's a part of me that doesn't like that about me. And that's what I need to face. So if I'm being shamed because I don't do use organic thing, organic apples for my kids' lunch, is there a part of me that wants to? And looking at that. And if I don't, then I just don't. And owning it. And that's that piece. You and I are very similar, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's and and sharing these stories, and I think that that's the powerful element. Being amongst women travelers that are like, hey, how how are you? Like, hey, how are you able to figure that out? And lighting the path, and what you'll get right, I won't. And then you're going to tell me, and I'm going to be like, oh, like oh, that lands for me. Or, oh, you apply it this way. Let me apply it here. I heard your story and it, and I couldn't exactly integrate it with that particular thing, but I just integrated it with my girlfriend or my boss. And that's what we're designed. Women are storytellers. We like to talk. We like to commune. And when we do that, we really are in service to everyone when we share that. It's so true. Let's do your four you. So four quick questions. You got it. Um, what do you do when you first wake up? What do I do when I first wake up? Uh, I check my phone. I, <laughs> I know. I got to get like. I, a- <laughs> I know. I'm bad like that too, because it's also like my alarms. I got to Like, I need to get an old school alarm and just keep the phone like out of the room. What do you, what if like out of any book, what book had the most influence on you in your journey? Uh, this is so hard for me. 
I, I, I have to do three and I'm sorry. Fine. <laughs> Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Thing. Uh, Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Fuck. And Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. Those are all great. I get those it. are my jam. Like those are my like. I could go back to them at any time and get my juice. And that's that's the one thing that I do. Um, no matter what I'm doing, I will always be listening to an audiobook. That's my. Oh, that's my that. anchor. What's one thing you can't live without? My audiobooks. A hundred. Uh, that's my anchor. That's I cannot. No, my audiobook. I would I would be brokenhearted. If I lost my audiobook collection, broken. Do they, do you like, do you go on walks? Do you just listen to it while you're in the house? When you take a bath? Like when, when? Everywhere. everywhere. Literally I, when I'm putting on my makeup, when I'm laying in bed, when I get restless, when I'm working out, uh, middle of the afternoon, I, through the night, sometimes I'll just have it going on in my mind. I'm like, I need these words in there. All right. So last question, what audiobook is on your, what are you listening to right now? I'm listening to Broken Open again because it's all, so the stories are all about those pivotal times when out of your darkness comes your like Phoenix process where you're able to, out of your greatest despair comes your greatest gift. So while I wasn't feeling well, when I was in uh, my depression, when I said, oh, I, all of me was wrung out, I knew there was something wrong when I wasn't listening to my audiobooks. Ooh. I wasn't doing any of it. I knew. I just was like, that is weird. Like people, like that's not me. So once I started, I was like, let me, there was just something inside of me that said, oh, it's Elizabeth Lesser, Elizabeth Lesser. And I hadn't listened to Broken Open in probably five years. And I went back to it. And that is just, if you are going through something, if you are hurting, if you are in pain, if you are in an acute situation or you feel a a large degree of uncertainty, this book is um, just a multitude of other people's stories of what they were able to uh, ring out, what goodness they were ring, able to wring out of a crappy situation and just seeing and hearing these these inspiring people and it's everyone it's like all these cool stories of like divorce not cool stories of divorce but divorce and um loss a woman with uh, multiple sclerosis and her uh, all of these things you're like these people are how how could they be able to transform a, you know, a death prognosis into something beautiful, but they do. And it's so, you're like, if you can do this on that, then I can do that about that nasty email that I got from my kid's school. You know, if, if you can do it on that and you can be able to do that, it's just inspiring. And it just, it shows you how to do it um, on the big stuff and the small stuff. So I highly recommend that. That would be my one. If, if right now, I think that would be helpful for people broken open Elizabeth lesser. She's the owner of, um, which I would love to go there. Uh, the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Oh yeah. So she has like all the big guys, like, like Pema, I would love to see Pema children or Pima children, however you want to say her last name or her first name, but she is just, Oh, such a beautiful soul. Yeah. So 
her. I well, that's like now I'm closer to there, so I have to start going to some of those places. It's funny. Very um, you are amazing. This is so lovely and so incredible. Thank you. And yeah, I got my juice, by the way. Thank you. I got filled up today. Like I was just like kind of floating around today, like this morning. And I feel um, this is this lights me up. So thank you for letting me uh, come on. And well, thank you. I appreciate that. So now Tina Marie is going to do a personal practice for us, which is called Three Little Things. So my personal practice and one that I've found to be incredibly insightful and really illuminates what is going on underneath is an exercise that I call three little things. So I want you just to sit back. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but if you're able to sit comfortably, I want you to sit back and close your eyes and I want you to imagine you are being interviewed for an article that is going to be written about you on the New York, in the New York Times. This is going to be read and posted and reposted to everyone you know your boss, your in-laws, your friends, your uh, arch enemies, everyone in your life will see this article about you. And I want you to envision you seeing it for the first time. And you open it up and you're it's posted front and center on your Instagram, on your Facebook, on it's, you're getting emails about it and you open it up. And I want you to imagine three words that you would not want them to mention in this article. Three words that if they said this word, or these words, you would be gutted. This would send you into a tailspin. This is a word that it's hard for you to utter. This is a word that is has held a charge for a really long time. This is a word that you have a hard time sitting next to. These are the words that you just would never want used in correlation to you. Absolutely not this word. So for me, when I first did this, it was hard for me to even write this down, even say it out loud. I, I remember thinking um, my, one of my words was illiterate. If someone would have written or wrote to me, oh, Tina Marie, you're so illiterate, it would have just brought me to my knees. I would have whipped out all of my default defenses and I would have tore that person apart in defending myself because the idea of sitting with this word or not defending or not being offended by this word was impossible because this word would imply that I was dumb or that I uh, lacked education 
And this was something that I had a belief system about and would could kill me in a, in a moment. Because the last thing I wanted to be perceived as was illiterate or dumb. And I had to work through that. But that was one word that gave me a charge. So throughout the day um, and on uh, the shiftster method, I will actually have a list of words. So you don't just have to think of random words. It's actually nice when you have a list. I want you to think of these three words that if they were said about you, you would just about, you would want to crawl into a hole or inside your covers. You just, your name plus this word cannot exist. If it does not give you a charge and make you want to crawl in a hole, then it's not your word. When you go through the list, you will know if it makes you, you know, jump up or makes you angry or makes you say, oh, I'm not that, then you know that it's your word. But these three words carry incredible potent power for transformation. And when we integrate and own these or are able to sit with them, we can shift them and integrate them. So good luck in your practice. And I look forward to hearing, please DM me and uh, tell me what comes up while you're working on your three words. And just remember that there's so much power in those three little words. Ted Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.